Speechifying to beat the band, it's the Medicare for the Lazy Man podcast. The Medicare podcast that works like a dog. As a child, he tried to build a snowman out of rain. Medicare expert, Doug Jones. Well, welcome to another exciting episode of the Medicare for the Lazy Man. This is uh, this is Doug Jones, your Medicare expert, as Drew McMillan, our uh, voiceover announcer, just told you. I am here to help you feel confident about your transition, your eventual transition from Obamacare to Medicare. We love to have people learn about Medicare and realize that it's not a big, scary thing that's going to screw up their lives. It's probably going to be an improvement for many people. Uh, a smaller outlay of cash for better quality health insurance protection. That's the goal anyway. And that's the way it's going to happen for a lot of people. If you're struggling under the Obamacare burden of uh, expensive health insurance with huge deductibles and big monthly premiums, then you're going to find that things will improve considerably when you're able to take that first step into the land of Medicare. And I'm here to help out by virtue of having written a book called Medicare for the Lazy Man. The 2022 edition is out right now at Amazon.com. And you're going to find a hardcover book, a softcover book, a Kindle book, and a an audible book, an audio, we would call that audio, but it's made by the audible company. You're going to find four different versions of the Medicare for the lazy man. So if you want to learn about Medicare, pick the version or versions that will allow you to best enjoy. And when you finish that enjoyment, which could take as little as an hour and a half, you're going to find that you have gained Medicare expertise that most other people in the United States do not have. My goal in life is to simplify Medicare, to make it understandable and palatable for the average person that's going to have to actually address Medicare. And I do this with the help of Randy Carson, who makes my life so much easier by twisting the knobs and sliding the slides and uh, doing all those things to make this thing sound good that I could never understand and do properly. Hello, Randy. How are you today? I'm good. How are you doing, Doug? I have a persistent tickle in my throat, so I am uh, going to turn my cough button on periodically and uh, let let fly with a cough or two. And if you, you know what, you know what'll solve that problem, don't you? Uh, some Coca Cola, which I'm holding in my hand. Well, that would be one thing that would enter my mind, but I was <laughs> thinking of maybe a Miller Light. I don't drink light beer, sir. Oh, that's right. You drink full, full leaded Miller. Full-bodied, absolutely. Yes, yes, High that's octane. right. High octane, full, full, full octane Miller. Yeah, it's called Miller Genuine Draft is one of my favorites, and then Miller High Life is another. Yeah, yeah. And frankly, my taste buds aren't acutely trained, and so they taste the same, but one costs more than the other. So I wind <laughs> up with Miller High Life more frequently. Somebody, one of our friends, uh, Joan, uh, she's a good friend of ours. She, when we go out for supper, she always wants to get, she's either, <laughs> this is kind of an interesting 
juxtaposition of, of uh, choices, but on one side, she always wants like a champagne split or, oh, sure. you know, to have for supper uh-huh. or she wants Miller high life. So how, well, how, how those uh, match up together. I don't know. Where was Joan when I was looking for a wife? <laughs> yeah. I, I think she might've been in her. She was a military brat uh, in the army and she's, she was actually all over the world. So she spent a lot of time in Paris and a variety uh-huh. of different places. So she may have been going to school in Paris when you were looking. Well, there you go. I wasn't looking anywhere near Paris or Paris, Texas, for that matter. Uh, is there a Paris, Illinois? And I wasn't there either. Yep. I, I would not have found her. She and I uh, obviously had different paths to follow. But anyway, it's nice to know that other people are drinking this stuff, because if people stop drinking it, then uh, I think Miller would stop making it. And that wouldn't be. Great. Yeah. Yeah. Well, Miller, Miller Brewing, a good friend of mine, uh, used to work for Miller Brewing and they have they have the recipes for a lot of the old beers. And yeah. when they then they occasionally will sprout out with one of the old recipes. It's always fun. Yeah. Uh, would that include PBR and, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. uh, let's see what else there's something else oh, it starts with an S it used to be a big deal. Schlitz. No Schlitz. Yeah. That's, that's a good guess. Cause Schlitz was a huge deal in the Midwest and, yep. uh, they seem to have been acquired by somebody. Is it Miller? I don't know. I don't know. Schlitz. We actually back in Omaha, back in Nebraska, where I was, was from and am still from, they we had a big Schlitz brewery uh back in Omaha and we had there was one other brewery and I'm it's I'm drawing a blank as to who it was. It wasn't Miller, but well the other thing uh, I was thinking about was Stroh's. Stroh's got to be a, yeah. a big deal. Yeah, yeah. And uh, I think somebody we, acquired them. Yeah. I, well Miller has got a lot of them. I'll yeah. tell you that Miller was kind of an acquisition sort of a company. Whereas Budweiser and I shall remain, you know, I, I don't like to have Budweiser, uh, you know, come off uh-huh. my mouth, come out of my mouth too often because <laughs> my good, my good friend is a distributor for all, all Miller products and uh-huh. everything, but everything, but Budweiser, but Budweiser has an entirely different business model. They don't really acquire any other brands, right? Uh, where, right. whereas Miller did. Their, their growth is uh, like brand or in in brand or something like that. There's a, an economic term for Budweiser's business model that differs from Miller's. Uh, and, and Miller, on the other hand, Miller doesn't make itself as friendly and open to the public. Maybe if you go to where some of their facilities are, they'll have tours and things like that. But boy, right. when, you, when you go to Milwaukee, or not Milwaukee, when you go to St. Louis, and go through the whole Budweiser complex. They have created their own little Disney world of beer consumption, marketing, and enjoyment uh, right there in just one little big square of block of, you know, Milwaukee or of uh, St. Louis. Yeah. And so yep. that's in order to spend the money on that sort of thing, the raising of the uh, draft horses and all that other stuff um, that has, that requires a dedication to brand loyalty. Oh yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's, I've, and I love historic things like that. I mean, even though I'm not a huge Budweiser fan, right. I do, I do love the Budweiser Clydesdales. I love everything they represent, you know, and I, that, that to me is Americana. Sure. Sure. Absolutely. And when you think of those Clydesdales, 
they were big old draft horses and that's what uh, they were designed to do haul not just wagons but also farm implements and stuff back in the mm-hmm. days before tractors and I grew up in Wayne, Illinois, and I, in fact, have a house in Wayne, Illinois right now, where Percheron draft horses were bred and sold back in the days of the early days of the 1900s. And uh, it built a huge empire for a guy named Dunham. And a lot of the stuff in Wayne, Illinois is named for this guy, Dunham. Uh, And it was uh, quite an operation. And then after World War I came and went. Here came tractors, and boy, that put an end to the draft horse business um, in a big way, fairly quickly, too. Well, here's your fun fact for the day. Generally speaking, Percherons are bigger and heavier than Clydesdales. I didn't know that. I would not have known that. They are big, big. they're, They're big, and they're fairly gentle. They are. They are. We had a back in the day when I I took a year off, I think I told you, and I managed a ranch. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, I was born and raised on a ranch, so I, yep. I knew what I was doing when I was managing one also, but we had a, a black, perfectly black, fully intact Percheron stallion. Uh-huh. Okay. And he, he weighed in at about 2,300 pounds. Wow. He had hooves the size of dinner plates. Were there any lady Percherons for him to woo? No, there wasn't, but there was other lady horses around. And when there was a horse came around that uh, was ready to make friends, ready to be wooed, (laughs) ready to be wooed. You had to make the, the stallion's name was illusion. And uh, you had to make sure that you kept illusion as far away as you could possibly keep him because we had him in a round. If those of you who are anywhere close to the ranch business or ever seen a ranch or heard of a ranch, there's a thing called a round pen made of, you know, steel bars, except, you know, the pen is round. Okay. Uh Well, these bars that are make up a round pen are pretty substantial bars. And one time while I was managing the ranch, one of the lady horses came by too close to illusion and he was out exercising in the round pen. Uh-oh. He got wind of the lady horse and this was a bad idea because he came not, not running. He just came over and wanted to make friends. Uh-huh. He, he pressed his chest against that round pen wall and he veed it out like a freaking ship in the night. Boy, boy, oh boy. And fortunately, we got the lady horse away and got hurt, got uh, illusion interested in something else. <laughs> what I, was the lady horse's attitude about all this? Was she? she uh, I don't think she. I don't think she was all that excited about the concept. But uh, illusion. You know, you said earlier on they're very gentle. Illusion was as gentle as gentle could be. We uh, we just loved him. He loved people, but don't get him anywhere near. Yeah. A lady horse that Ooh, needs boy. to be needs to have some loving. Yeah. <laughs> well, oh boy. Imagine what things were like back in the olden days before tractors, when uh, a successful ranch had a whole bunch of these animals for doing that kind of work and everything. Yeah. I imagine life was a lot more complicated. Yeah. It, I mean, you have to, you have to be very aware of you know how your animals react and what's going to cause them to react and i mean the other thing you didn't want to get next to uh, illusion was another stallion oh yeah 
his his concept of life was he was the head honcho of the ranch right and he and he was willing to prove it at any point in time yeah i understand <laughs> that uh, there's some territorial uh, uh imperatives involved there oh if yeah I'm, if yeah. i'm in charge don't you be coming over and challenging my uh, authority and he as the old saying goes doug he was large yeah. And in charge. And in charge. <laughs> oh boy. Well, I'll tell you something. I looked at our uh, uh, iTunes uh, ratings and reviews the other day, just for snicks, and we uh, generally get very high ratings on this podcast. People seem to enjoy it, uh, except for one guy who uh, gave us a one-star review and said that we uh, titter. I, I'm trying to remember the terminology, but we twitter back and forth with each other like little schoolgirls. And so this, this guy is uh, very, very tough to entertain. He's uh, certainly not uh, easily entertained. And so I thought maybe we should jump back into our Medicare type of uh, content for the rest of this episode. What do you think? That, that would be just fine. But let that guy know we yep. will refund his entry price. That's right. That's right. We will return every penny he paid for this uh, entertainment that he doesn't seem to like too much. In any event. I've got this stack of articles. I was going to ask Randy to choose one from the uh, stack for me to read, but there are about 25 articles here I've been collecting over the last couple of weeks. And so uh, it would be a tough assignment for Randy to pick out one that he thinks the audience might enjoy or that he might enjoy. And so I'm going to just grab one at random. And I have one that was um, released or printed on July 12th of this year, 2022. It's uh, entitled Hospital Acquired Pneumonia. That's a disease now. It's pneumonia acquired in a hospital, <laughs> amazingly enough. Hospital acquired pneumonia is killing patients, yet there is a simple way to stop it. Now, I, you know, when I get to the age uh, that I am now and other people approach Medicare age, uh, there's always that fear that something bad is going to happen. We're going to wind up in a hospital. And this article here is interesting. I cheated and I looked ahead a little bit to find out what the simple way to stop it is. You might be interested in this. So it starts out by saying James Massey, an Army veteran and patient at the Salem Veterans Affairs Medical Center in Salem, Virginia gets his teeth brushed by a nursing assistant. The Salem VA reprioritized oral care to combat non-ventilator hospital-acquired pneumonia. They did this in 2016, and the program has since expanded across the VA uh, and is often cited as a model for all hospitals. Four years ago, <clears throat> when Karen Giuliano went to a Boston hospital for a hip replacement surgery. She was given a pale pink bucket of toiletries issued to patients in many hospitals. <clears throat> Inside were tissues, bar soap, deodorant, toothpaste, and without a doubt, the worst toothbrush she had ever seen. I couldn't believe it. I got a toothbrush with no bristles, she said. It must have not gone through the bristle machine. It was just a stick. To most patients, a useless hospital toothbrush would be a mild inconvenience. But to Giuliano, a nursing professor at the University of Massachusetts at Amherst, it was a reminder of a pervasive blind spot in United States hospitals, the stunning consequences of unbrushed teeth. <clears throat> hospital patients not getting their teeth brushed or not brushing their teeth themselves, it is believed 
to be a leading cause of hundreds of thousands of cases of pneumonia per year in patients who have not been put on a ventilator. Pneumonia is among the most common infections that occur in healthcare facilities, and a majority of cases are non-ventilator hospital-acquired pneumonia, or NVHAP. Let's, oh boy, they just love their acronyms, don't they? Uh, NVHAP, which kills up to 30% of those infected, Giuliano and other experts said, but unlike many infections that strike within hospitals, the federal government doesn't require hospitals to re- report cases of NVHAP, non-ventilator uh, hospital-acquired pneumonia. As a result, few hospitals understand the origin of the illness, and few of them track its occurrence or actively work to prevent it. Many cases of this could be avoided if hospital staffers more dutifully brushed the teeth of bedridden patients, according to a growing body of peer-reviewed research. Instead, many hospitals often skip teeth brushing to prioritize other tasks and provide only cheap, ineffective toothbrushes, often unaware of the consequences. I'll tell you, uh, this nursing professor said, I'll tell you that today, the vast majority of tens of thousands of nurses in hospitals have no idea that pneumonia comes from germs in the mouth. Pneumonia occurs when germs trigger an infection in the lungs. Although this disease, this NVHAP, accounts for most of the cases that occur in hospitals, it historically has not received the same attention as pneumonia tied to ventilators, which is easier to identify and study because it occurs among a narrow subset of patients. NVHAP, a risk for virtually all hospital patients, is often caused by bacteria from the mouth that gathers in the scummy biofilm on unbrushed teeth and is aspirated into the lungs. Patients face a higher risk if they lie flat or remain immobile for long periods. So NVHAP can also be prevented by elevating their heads, getting them out of bed more often. According to the National Organization for NVHAP prevention, which was founded in 2020, this pneumonia affects about one in every 100 hospital patients and kills 15 to 30% of them. For those who survive, the illness often extends their hospital stay by up to 15 days and makes it much more likely they will be readmitted within a month or transferred to an intensive care unit. John McCleary, age 83 of Millinocket, Maine, contracted a likely case of NVHAP in 2008 after he fractured his ankle in a fall and spent 12 days in rehab at a hospital, uh, said his daughter. His daughter is a retired nurse and advocate with the Patient Safety Action Network. McCleary, the 83-year-old patient, recovered from the fracture, but not from pneumonia. Two days after he returned home, the infection in his lungs caused him to be rushed back to the hospital where he went into sepsis and spent weeks in treatment before uh, moving to an isolation unit in a nursing home. He died weeks later, emaciated, largely deaf, unable to eat, and often too weak to get water through a straw, his daughter said. After contracting pneumonia, he never walked again. It was an astounding assault on his body from him being here visiting the week before his fall to his death just a few months later. And the whole thing was avoidable. While experts describe NVHAP as largely an ignored threat uh, that appears to be changing. That doesn't seem like a real complete sentence there. 
Last year, a group of researchers, including Giuliano and Baker, plus officials from Centers for Disease Control and Prevention, the people that force you to wear masks when they don't do anything and everybody knows it, uh, the VA Health Administration uh, and a joint commission published a call to action research paper hoping to launch a national health care conversation about prevention of this hospital uh, acquired pneumonia. The Joint Commission, a nonprofit organization whose accreditation can make or break hospitals, is considering broadening the infection control standards to include more ailments, including this uh, NVHAP. <clears throat> Separately, another nonprofit, ECRI, focused on healthcare safety and um, let's see, this year pinpointed NVHAP as one of its top patient safety concerns. Uh, so da, 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 they don't really tell me what ECRI is. We only know what's reported. Davis said, could this be the tip of the iceberg? I would say in my opinion, probably to better measure the condition. Some researchers call for a standard uh, standardized surveillance, uh, definition of NVHAP, which could in time open the door for the federal government to mandate reporting of cases or incentivize prevention. With increasing urgency, researchers are pushing for hospitals not to wait for the feds, but to act against NVHAP. This Baker said she has spoken with hundreds of hospitals about how to prevent it, but thousands more have yet to take up the cause. We are not asking for some big $300,000 piece of equipment. The two things that show the best evidence of preventing this harm are things that should be happening in standard care anyway. Brushing teeth and getting patients mobilized. That evidence comes from a smattering of studies that show that two strategies can lead to sharp reductions in infection rates. In California, a study at 21 Kaiser Permanente hospitals used a reprioritization of oral care and getting patients out of bed to reduce rates of hospital-acquired pneumonia by about 70%. At Sutter Medical Center in Sacramento, better oral care reduced NVHAP cases by a yearly average of 35%. At Orlando Regional Medical Center in Florida, a medical unit and surgical unit where patients received enhanced oral care and reduced NVHAP rates by 85% uh, and 56% re respectively when compared with similar units that received normal care. A similar study is underway at two hospitals in Illinois, and the most compelling results come from a veterans hospital in Salem, Virginia, where a 2016 oral care pilot program reduced rates of NVHAP by 92%, saving an estimated 13 lives in just 19 months. The program, the HAPPEN initiative, had been expanded across the Veterans Health Administration, and experts say it could serve as a model for all U.S. hospitals. A nursing official who leads that effort said the program trains nurses to most effectively brush patients' teeth and educates patients and families on the link between oral care and preventing NVHAP. While teeth brushing may not seem to require training, uh, this person made comparisons to how the coronavirus revealed many Americans were doing a lackluster job of another routine hygienic practice, washing their hands. Sometimes we are searching for the most complicated intervention. We are always looking for that new bypass surgery or some new technique or technological equipment. 
And sometimes I think we fail to look at the simplest things we can do in our practice to save people's lives. So I don't know, that's kind of good news that uh, a lot of uh, the massive disease uh, cost can be solved with a fairly simple um, intervention with various patients. I like that idea. What do you think, Randy? I think that's a great idea, but I was going to mention that early on in this episode, you said you were going to tell us how to prevent this. Well, I thought I did. <laughs> well, you did, but there is another option. Well, lay it on us. I and like the other, the other option is, is that hospitals are no place for sick people. That's right. Stay away from <laughs> hospitals. That's an excellent, excellent uh, uh, piece of advice right there. But if you have to, if somebody throws you in a hospital, like they threw you in, you didn't, yeah. when you were going to go a year and a half ago, uh, you didn't even really know you needed to go. All you knew was that uh, people were telling you, you know, go here, go there, get in the car, yeah. get out of the car. I had no idea where I was going. It, it was kind of an interesting, uh, kind of an interesting few days. The other thing I was going to mention is that is that one. I think it was a woman got a toothbrush in her pink in her kit from the hospital with no bristles. That's exactly right, and she is a um, like a honcho. She she yeah. was there for a hip replacement, but she is like a national renowned authority in nursing training and stuff. Well, you know where that kit came from, don't you? California. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's, where they have prisoners. They, making they're, making, they're making those toothbrushes right next to the eyeglasses. Actually, you know how prisoners love to make shivs and other weapons? Yeah. I, I've heard of about them being made out of toothbrushes. So I think prison handles. Yeah, I think prisons in most places are uh, very cautious about giving out toothbrushes to prisoners. Yeah. Uh, the other source that it could have been was I, I mentioned, I wrote down here that it could have been from a Plan C salesman. Oh, that would be crapola. Yeah. 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 That's what C always stands for when you're talking about Medicare. Part so C. They, they, should ask, they should ask you, do you want a toothbrush with bristles or without? Which Would you like to be shivved by your toothbrush handle? Or? <laughs> oh, dear. Well, you know, we're out of time. I need to thank the audience. But before we get out of here, guys, I want you to write Doug at dbj at mlmmailbag.com. Let him know just what's on your mind. Just say hi. We love to hear from you. Go to Amazon.com, get yourself a, you know, several paperbacks because you'll need them as the, you know, the year comes to an end. We're, we're halfway through already. You know, it's, a, it's wow. an amazing thing. It's the 2022 version with green numbers on it. Get yourself an audio, get yourself a version from the Kindle uh, library, whatever you'd like. We got it. And ultimately, Doug Jones is watching over you from his Fortress of Solitude. But you have just spent about 32 and a half minutes, I think, with Doug Jones, originally from Oklahoma, but now residing in Cave Creek at about, oh, I don't know, 12,343 feet. Bye bye.